Hey everyone, uh, welcome to Bottom of the Bottle 750. My name is Manny Gonzalez. My counterpart with the pink shirt today is Adam Cataldo. Uh, we were so excited about talking about Rosé that we completely forgot to actually introduce who we are, so that's what I'm doing now. So, welcome to Bottom of the Bottle. Welcome to our segment, uh, Time for Drunken Wine Guys. <laughs> um, thank you all for, for tuning in and paying attention to us and listening to us ramble. Uh, as I said, we got so excited. We forgot to do an introduction, so I'm doing one now. Welcome to Bottom Bottle 750. I sell wine for a living. Adam sells wine for a living. We are not experts, but we dig wine, and we dig people that dig wine, and we're here to talk about it. So without further ado, on with the show. Oh, man. I'm excited for this week, Manny. Yeah. I'm excited. It's, uh, well, it, I am outside. You know, I was outside on Instagram earlier this week, too. It's it, it's gorgeous. Spring is wonderful. Um, but it, it, I'm really excited because we're talking about rosé. And if you couldn't tell by the color of my shirt, I'm wearing pink, for those of you who aren't looking at a video. Um, rosé is kind of one of my things. Manny knows this all too well. But... I, yeah, I'm just, I'm really excited. It, it's the, rosé is something near and dear to my heart. And there are all sorts of stigmas, misconceptions, um, actually some things that are, that, you know, stereotypes that are true, actually. Um, not all, you know, not all these things can be bad. Um, but there's just so much to talk about with rosé. And you know, we were, you know, Manny and I had the discussion. We thought it was the perfect time to engage in in rosé as a style. I think you're absolutely right, and I mean, there there's several ways to make rosé. Um, you know, there's several identities to rosé. Um, for those of you that listened on uh, yesterday's kind of little thing I threw up on Instagram, you know, I talked about uh, a method called sanye. <laughs> um, which is a pretty old school method of making wine. Actually, I do have the same wine that I had yesterday. This is the Ferrier Matazarg, which is, I know, a really hard word to say, um, but it's basically this old priory or monastery that dates back to the 12th century, 1199 to be exact. Um, and in that area, they make a style called Sanye. And Sanye is a, can be a little complex, but it's what I like to say, it's two for the price of one, it's more bang for the buck. Um, typically with a Sané method, what you're doing is you are taking uh, your red grapes of the area in Taval. They are Grenache, Syrah, there's Montpedre, there's Sanso. Then you have a handful of white grapes as well, like Berberlanc, uh, Claride uh, being one of them. And basically what you do is you take your grapes, put them in a press, and you will just kind of gently do a press on those uh, on those grapes. And that first part, if this is the barrel, I think this is what I did in my video yesterday. If this is the barrel, um, the first part that runs off is going to be a little more concentrated in color, but not quite red wine. It's somewhere between what we typically think of uh, that soft salmon color rosé and red wine. Um, it's a pretty old style. In fact, the monks have been doing this for, you know, about a thousand years. Um, partly because the soils here are really sandy and they don't, de the, uh, the grapes don't develop a lot of uh, color. And what ended up happening, that first bit that came off that was kind of bled off made kind of a, a 
soft, almost cranberry color wine. What was left in that barrel was more was all the grape musk, was the um, the skins, the seeds, and they would do uh, a harder press on that, and that would extract more color. It would make more of a concentrated wine. Um, in Tobal, you have to do Sanya method. But what's really cool about Montezarg is that their wines are made to be rosé. Most producers are making wines in this area to make rosés um, specifically, you know, and they're, they're a pretty cool style of wine and a little richer, you know, probably than what Adam is drinking with uh, his, well, whatever you're drinking back there, I can't really see the bottle. <laughs> I know, um, but but I, I want to before I go. I'm, I'm making Chateau Beaulieu, which is a, a, a gorgeous wine. But I I, I want to. Many just dispelled, I think, myth number one, with about rosé, which is that rosé is simple. So and, and I don't think that that generalization came about as something to be negative, um, but but it does exist in that you know it, it's the we view rosé as the, as the porch pounding wine, right? Like I'm, I'm on the deck and I'm drinking rosé and it's like, oh, well, that, that's the perfect place for it. You know, you drink it at the beach, you put it in a bucket of ice and that's what you do. Uh, it, it's simple. What you just described is the furthest thing from simple. <laughs> the French are not, are, if anything, they are not simple. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> So just conceptually, I, I think we just, you know, nailed that one right away. And we're going to be doing this the entire time, by the way, uh, just kind of picking off these myths one by one. Um, I do have a, 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 I have a Provence Rosé, um, Chateau Beaulieu, and it's made in the method called direct press. So many just explained Sanye. Direct press is kind of the other primary method for, for making rosé. Primary might be too strong, but, but it's one of the big ones. Uh, and it's kind of self-explanatory. It's exactly what it sounds like. The grapes, once they're brought in, and they're pressed immediately. So we haven't gone into this much, um, or maybe we have and just not explained it. Maceration, the maceration period when you're making wine is when you allow the grapes and the juice to sit in the barrel or the tank with the skin still intact. And when this happens, the, the juice extracts color from the grapes. This is what Manny was just explaining when, you know, they, they bleed the juice off early. Um, that's, they do this during the maceration period. Uh, direct press, there really isn't a maceration period. You put the, the grapes into the barrel or the tank and you directly press. So you get this much paler, um, you know, color on the, on the wine. I don't know if you guys can see that if you're watching the video, but I have this really light salmon color on my rosé. And that's because the skin contact is, is minimal. There is some skin contact in direct press because the juice is in the grape, right? So there's always some little bit of skin contact. Um, and, you know, sometimes they fudge the rule a little bit and many can correct me if I'm wrong here, but they might let it sit on its skins for like an hour, you know, or, 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 but nothing crazy as far, you know, we're not, we're not doing what red wine does for like 14 days, sometimes for cabs and longer. Um, it's really, it's a really quick process. Yeah, absolutely. We need to pause the drink here. <laughs> That's gorgeous. Um, so yeah, and, and I think, there's a, there's a 
there is a myth number two. Let's go this route. Myth number two. Rosé is a fad. Rosé is new. Rosé, you know, like, ooh, like, ooh, we're drinking rosé. Uh, rosé is not new. <laughs> By any stretch of the imagination. Um, Provence, which is a primarily rosé region in France, which is the one where I'm drinking this from, uh, has 2,600 years of history. Um, you know, the we're going back to 570 BC when we're talking about when it was settled and, and the vine was brought to, brought to Provence. So it, and they weren't like making these big, huge red wines back then. And then, you know, they transitioned to Rosé. They were always making these light-skinned grapes. Um, you know, the, it was the Phocaeans at first, then the Romans came. Uh, the Romans actually named uh, Provence Nostra Provincia, which is where the uh, Provence comes from. It's from the, after they, you know, kind of conquered it and, and named it. Um, so that's where the, the word Provence comes from, is from when they established it. Um, and, you know, they, they were always making these pale red, you know, red wines, uh, but, the, but that was the original rosé. And <clears throat> Provence being where it is, we're on the Mediterranean. Right, so this is where everyone wants to go vacation, right? We have, um, I'm going to, I'm blank. And what, what are all the, the, the famous Manny, um, you know, vacation towns in France and the beach? I'm forgetting well, all of them. Like Marseille, um, Nice, uh, Monaco is kind of in that, that area. Absolutely. So, you know, this was a place because of those things. Then they weren't just nice now. They've always been nice places to live. So in the Middle Ages, all the Roman, uh, not, not the Roman, the French, uh, you know, nobility, gentry, military, they all retired to Provence. And back then you drank a lot of local wine. So, you know, rosé was the wine of the aristocracy and the retired military in, in France in the, in, in the Middle Ages. Like, so again, it, it's, it was really important back then. Rosé did not just happen 10 years ago. <laughs> It sounds like um, that sounds like that was their Florida. Ooh. <laughs> I, I, I don't know the where one, to go. The one in Florida, not so good. Yeah. You know, it's it's like which part of Florida? The Keys or Disney World? Like, what are we talking here? Because <laughs> uh, France has a Disney. I don't think it's down in Nice, though. No. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, that's the, I mean, there's so much more to talk about, but the, just in general, the idea that, you know, that rosé is new and doesn't have this deep, rich history like every other wine in the world does is, is just wrong. And, but, you know, the one I'm drinking is a good example. Uh, you know, Chateau Beaulieu has 500 plus years of, of winemaking experience. Uh, they're in the Coteau X. So um, Provence is, you know, the, this big region with had subzones within it. We've talked about AOCs, Appalachian Origin Control A. Uh, the Coteau X is a smaller subzone. Uh, I say smaller, it's the second biggest AOC in Provence, but it is smaller than the Cote de Provence. And it borders the Mediterranean and it exhibits some terroir, which is another myth we wanted to spell is that all rosé is kind of the same. They're all light, fruity, and that's just that, that's just what they are. Um, no, they they can taste dramatically different because, like Chardonnay, like Pinot Noir, like Syrah, like every other grape and every other wine style there is, there's this 
amazing terroir influence. Um, in Provence, there's the Mistral, the same thing that affects the Rhone, affects Provence in many ways. Um, you know, there's there's mountains, there's 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 volcanic rock from you know ancient volcanoes. Um, you know, near X, where where um, where Beaulieu is, there's this volcanic rich soil um, from things that happened millions of years ago. You know, um, it, it's these rosé is not a monolith. It, it, it's not monolithic at all, and they make really gorgeous wines. To be the one I'm drinking right now, uh, this is an estate actually, which is kind of unique for for Provence, but. These guys, because uh, the vineyards are close enough to the Mediterranean, I get some salinity in this. Well, I, my wine is not by the Mediterranean at all. Um, I'm actually not drinking the Taval that we talked about earlier. Today, I have in my glass Susana Valbo. Uh, this is from Argentina, uh, of all places. And it's a place we don't wait, typically think of. Wait, hold on. You, you, you're not double fisting? I thought you were drinking both. <laughs> I, I just oh, lost a little respect for you. I might have put some in my coffee cup. Uh, <laughs> no, um, no, no, no. That was that was yesterday. So I want to focus in on 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 here because you know the terroir of Argentina is is dramatically different than um, that of Provence. And what I think does link both of them together is the diversity of soil. Like you know, you get limestone and clay and and sand and granite and schist and quartz in Provence. And here there's a ton of soil diversity, but it's really hard to quantify when you're in a vineyard because basically we're on the foothills of the Andes Mountains. And you know, oftentimes people will compare or they'll put the same category all South American wines, like wines from Chile, wines from Argentina. Wines from Chile are gonna be closer to French wines um, because, or at least like Bordeaux or Provence, if you're dealing, or um, coastal wines, because you know it's not a big country. It's 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 a pretty thin country, and you have the Andes on one part, keeping all the hot, dry air from the interior of, of South America, and you have the Mediterranean that cools it and regulates temperature. We don't have that in Argentina. We have basically the mountains, we have the wineries, and we have a high plateau desert. Um, and so you get a lot of intense fruit in Argentina. And you find this, think of your, your Malbec, the intense rich color that you have there. Um, here, because it gets so dry, we get a lot of extraction, but the nights get really cold. And that makes wines that are high acid, which makes them, you know, um, awesome. I mean, awesome food wines, ultimately, when we're talking about reds and we're talking about rosés. But the soils here are so wild. You know, you can be in a vineyard. And uh, let's say you wanted to, you know, make a 100-point Robert Parker wine and you hire Michelle Roland, who is like this famous, um, you know, wine, um, what do you call it, like a winemaker who consults with wineries, you can't just go through and say, okay, well, there's this soil here, you got to plant this grape. Because if you're going through the vineyard, every four or five feet, because of uh, either uh, river wash or glaciers that cut through here, it's a completely different soil type. And so producers over the years have been able to isolate where they're gonna plant certain grapes and what style of wine are you gonna produce? So where these vines come from, there's more sand in the soil. The sand doesn't create as much extraction. And so they make great rosés. You know, so 
I know you don't like to talk about things that you smell. I'm going to talk about what I smell in the wine because um, it's just fun for me. But so I mean, you while, get... while you're smelling, just really quick on this, because I've said this a couple of times and I probably haven't explained myself. Um, when, when I was learning about wine initially, I was hanging around Psalms and not Psalms like Manny, but the, the, the obnoxious kind that um, did not like sharing their knowledge. They just, you know, spoke above you. And what would happen is there'd be like five people in the room and we'd have a wine and it'd be like, what are you getting? What are you getting? Okay, I'm getting, I'm getting cherry. Oh, you're getting cherry. What kind of cherry are you getting? Are you getting Bing cherry or maraschino cherry? You're getting black cherry. That's really interesting. Wait, wait, wait. You're not getting cherry? You're getting strawberry. You're getting ripe strawberry or underripened strawberry? And by the time you were done, you know, all of a sudden you'd listed every freaking fruit that exists, <laughs> every flavor profile, because we hadn't even tasted the thing yet. It was all about who could pull out the, the craziest tasting note. And here's the thing for, for me is that it is you smell what you smell. If Manny and I have the same wine right now and, and I got banana and he got boysenberry, neither one of us would be wrong. It, it, it's your, your palate is your palate and, and what you perceive is what you perceive. It, like, you know, when, when people are talking about, you know, cassis and, and currants and things that you might, you might not have ever had, uh, it's okay if you don't get those because you've never had one before. How are you supposed to get it? Like it, it, it's totally, and, and that's why I, say I don't like talking about it is I don't want anyone to think that um, what I'm saying is the, is what it has to be. Um, it's oh, whatever you, whatever you taste it to be. So that, 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 that's my, and I'm not sure that you imply that, but that's kind of where mean, my, I don't like talking about it comes from because everyone used to tell me I was wrong. Yeah. And I, I wasn't, it was what I tasted, so. Well, those people were jerks. In this, it's, <laughs> and that's why when I come up with descriptions, I really try to think of things that are really different. So one thing I get with a lot of rosés um, is like circus peanuts, you know, those candies that you get when you're a kid. It's kind of like, yes! you mentioned banana a second ago, there's a little bit of circus peanut. Um, this one has a little bit of uh, um, uh, watermelon, uh, what are those little fruit bars when you were a kid that you would get? Uh, this watermelon, huh? The Jolly Rock, like the Jolly Jolly Rancher watermelon. Oh, Airheads. No, no, Jolly Rancher uh, watermelon. Because oh, okay. um, I'm I'm older, uh, <laughs> you know, so I get I get some of that. You know, so there there's some um, real cool flavors, and and you know, they can be super complex, which is great. And Susanna Balbo, I mean, she's just an icon. She's a legend. Um, she's the first woman in Argentina to graduate graduate with a degree in enology in 1981. Um, I made the mistake of calling her the first woman of Argentinian wine and someone um, corrected me and said no she is like the president of Argentinian wine. If she was the first woman her husband would have been the leader of Argentinian wine. She is an absolute um, absolute awesome awesome winemaker and you know I mean her story is great because you know, you talk about the history of Baliu, 500-year history. So she started making wine 40 years ago, um, but she built Katena, made them what they are. Um, she had her wines and her first releases were on, selected for British Airways first-class flights. Um, she's won numerous, numerous awards. Um, and then she has her, uh, her own estate in Argentina. 
um, and this is their signature series. So it's all all a seed crew coming from the Pico Valley in Argentina, uh, which is really the premier place to grow anything in Argentina when it comes to wine. Uh, but how she makes the wine is unique. So it's Malbec mostly and Pinot Noir. Um, that very light direct press method, the wine does macerate for one hour. And what she does to make sure she's not extracting tannin, because as the temperature warms up, um, you don't get that soft color, but you get more tannic structure to the wine. Um, to make sure you maintain the soft aromas and the delicate aromas, she actually adds dry ice to this point of the wine making That's to maintain cool. a lower, lower temperature. I mean, she's awesome. She is an absolute and um, unassuming, lovely force of nature. It's... We're actually, we, we, get, we get to say that from personal experience. Manny and I got to meet Susanna Babo, mm -hmm. and you would not have known that, I mean, arguably the most important female winemaker in the world, and let's, let's even, let's amend that, one of the most important winemakers in the world, period, was in the room with us. Yeah. No idea. So humble, so funny, so down to earth so cool, so brilliant. Absolutely. I, I mean, she, her pivoting from telling a, you know, a stupid geeky joke to then waxing poetic about, you know, the, the, you know, the pH levels and the wines that she's making. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Absolutely. You know, and um, I mean, just like a, a point on this too, this wine, you know, we always think of rosés, it's got to be fresh, it's got to be you know, the, the vintage you're on. This is 2018. This wine is drinking beautifully. And as it's aged, you know, you get more, um, it's become a little drier. And I think it makes it a better, you know, a better food wine. Like the, the reason why rosés, people always think they have to be the current vintage, you know, our 2020 release would be what we're drinking now in the States in the Northern Hemisphere. Um, it's because... 15, 20 years ago, there wasn't a lot of rosé up in the market, you know, and so you had the opportunity to buy 10 cases of Susanna Balbo, 10 cases of Chateau you bought it in February, you got the product in March, and that was it for the year. And so the hope was, I think for most people, was to be out of your product by September. But I mean, now people drink rosé, you know, all the time. Um, I mean, Grill 23 was pouring Chateau de Query, which is a Tabal um, that had some age to it, two or three years of age to it in the winter. I mean, maybe, I mean, that's wine pairs with steak. So, you know, that's something that works. Which is, again, dispelling another myth, rosé doesn't go with food. But before we, we get there, because I think mean, we need to talk more about that. Um, obviously, our format's a little different this week than it has been from what we've done. And I say that like we've been doing this for two years and we just abruptly changed format. Right. But we did. So we, we've talked about regions beforehand. And, and today, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about a style for a, a, a type of wine. And, you know, we, we mentioned Sanye, we mentioned Direct Press. These aren't the only two ways to make rosé. There are other ways to make rosé. Uh, if you've ever gone from a red wine in your glass to a white wine in your glass, 
you probably know one of the ways you can make rosé. You can blend a couple drops of red wine in with with some white wine, and you'll you'll, you'll get a pink wine. Uh, this is actually done. Um, I, you know, I'm actually I'll let Manny you talk about this one because Spain is known for this, right? Yeah, Spain does this quite a bit. So there's a producer, Rebonada, and they do that. They're from Navarra, and they blend in mostly red grapes. They blend in a little bit of um, uh, a little bit of red wine. And I think if I can tell you a, a little trade secret, I was working at a high-end Italian restaurant, and this woman actually wanted rosé. Uh, we didn't have any rosé, but she was a really important person, and she was also very difficult to deal with. And so I took, we had an Italian Sauvignon Blanc, and I added a little bit of like a spoonful of Sangiovese to it. And I gave it to her. And she probably drank a bottle's worth of our homemade rosé. And the reason why I picked Sangiovese, it's because rosés do have, at least in the style that we're both drinking, the direct press method, they do have a floral component to them, more so than maybe Tzaval does. And uh, the Sauvignon Blanc really maintains that kind of fresh floral quality where the Sangiovese just gives it a little rounder structure, gives it a little creaminess and just a hint of tannin. But I mean, you know, she drank four glasses of it and she loved it. She asked what it was called and <laughs> thankfully she didn't ask to see the bottle. You, you do realize that now everyone who goes out to a restaurant and orders a glass of rosé that's listened to this is going to be haunted by what you just said. <laughs> if I can let you in on another secret, it's not always regular coffee. Uh, <laughs> whatever is freshest. Uh, well, that's gonna, uh, so it's always coffee, guys. It's always coffee. Restaurant friends, it's always regular coffee. <laughs> um, but we do have, there is, there is one other way, which I think is kind of cool to, to, to talk about. Um, there, sometimes, wineries will let uh, uh, white-skinned or gray-skinned grapes uh, macerate for a while, uh, and, and it'll extract some color. So um, they do this in Italy a lot. It's called Romato style. They do it with, with Pinot Gris, you know, Pinot Grigio, Pinot Gris. The, um, you know, we, we view, we think of Pinot Gris as a, and Pinot Grigio as a white grape, but the true white version of that grape is the mutation, it's Pinot Blanc. Gris is, 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 is gray. Um, so if you leave it on its skins, it gets this, this light pink hue. Um, you know, Bolini, uh, which is based out of Trentino, makes a beautiful, um, you know, risotto of, uh, of Pinot Grigio. And that's from that extended skin contact. And that's actually also kind of the same way that, that, that orange wine is made, you know, which is, which is white wine um, sitting on its, uh, on its, a white grape sitting on its skins and extracting, you know, what, little color is there and the, the, the results. Um, I am I am not an orange wine aficionado. I just kind of know that's how they do it. So Manny, if you want to expound upon that, uh, I'll let you do it. Yeah, well, I mean, basically it's a, that's the, the idea that the wine gets kind of this slight, almost orange color to it. It's not quite like copper colored. I mean, it's it's it becomes a little more golden, suddenly auburn. Oftentimes there's some oak aging. It can be a little oxidized as well. Um, and you can almost get these really cool sherry notes. But one reason why I think a lot of people have, um, especially a lot of Psalms and a lot of younger people in the wine industry have gravitated towards it because it is actually an old method of producing wine, um, like the Sanye method, like the direct press method. 
Um, you know, you let the, the skins macerate with the juice and that's going to create more texture. It's going to make the acid a little more um, uh, vibrant and it's going to actually give a little bit of tannic structure, which is what makes, once again, rosés pair well with food. That's why Tabal works with steak. You know, that's why, um, you know, this is, uh, these are wines that you can pair with a myriad of flavors. Absolutely. So I, I have a, actually, I'm going to, this is a good transition. So I, I, when I think of, of rosé, I think of roast chicken. And the reason I think of roast chicken is because one of my very good friends uh, that I've had for the last 10 years, every Sunday makes roast, chi makes roast ch chicken and, and drinks rosé. And uh, we're talking about pairing rosé with food right now. Uh, but Rosé also pairs with occasions, and, and, and all wine pairs with occasions. We haven't really gone into this, but it really does. Is Wine is an emotional experience, and, you know, de depending on what you like and what you're into and, and, and the mood that you want to set and so on, you, you, can, you, can, you can pair rosé with it. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll indulge myself here and tell the story. Um, this is about 10 years ago now. I worked for a very small company. And we used to have our sales meetings in the back of a wine shop in Lexington, Mass. Uh, Berman's Wine Shop, fantastic place to go and, and buy wine. And shout out to Joel. Shout out to Joel. Absolutely. <laughs> if you like Burgundy, go talk to Joel. He knows what he's doing. Um, we were we're, it's a, we're we're in the back of his wine shop, and uh, we were being presented a wine that uh, Manny and I actually don't sell now, but it was called Chateau Rubin. It's it's a it's one of the crews of, uh, of Provence, so it's a special wine. And I'd never had this wine before, and it was made from this obscure grape called Tiburon, which is indigenous to Provence and makes this, you know, makes really pretty rosé. But one of the things it has, one of the, it picks up on its terroir, and one of the things that it extracts it, it is, is um, herb de Provence. Because it's, it's planted in areas where those herbs are also there, so it, it really picks up on those flavors. Uh, so I, they poured me this wine, I smelled it, and it was lavender and rosemary and thyme, and it was like no rosé I'd ever smelled, I, you know, I, I'd ever smelled before. And a coworker of mine who hadn't really engaged with me before is across the room, sees that, like, spark as I take that sniff, like he sees it, and he comes running over. Wait, what, you know, and I just, I just bash people for what are you getting, right? What are you getting? What are you smelling in this? Like, I, I, I'm getting, I, I'm getting rosemary and lavender. He goes, in time, like, yeah, he goes, yes. And we had this moment, we had this connection. And again, he, he and I had not really spoken before that. Um, so, you know, if, if I hadn't had that wine in that moment, in that place, would I have this amazing friend, you know, Matt, you know, now for, for 10 years? I, I don't know, maybe we, we, we might've connected, but, but Rosé was that, was that moment. Um, so Rosé works with a variety of foods because there's a variety of Rosés, but it also works for a variety of occasions. It, it doesn't have to be, again, I'm on my deck, right? It does not have to be a porch pounder. It can be so many different things, depending on what you, you know, what you're into, what you want that day, and what you want to do. It's, 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 it's a diverse wine. It really is. 
exactly you know and i mean it is it is a non-gender conformist wine you know as is as is the color pink um as you're you're demonstrating right now with your pink shirt you look absolutely dashing out there outside i was actually outside a minute ago before we uh we started recording this and i had to come in because it got wicked windy outside and i was afraid it was going to rain so i'm a little disappointed it's not as nice and belmont it is on the cape today you know but i mean like rosés you know they go with a, a different occasions. I mean, from, yeah, it's going to work with a baby shower. It's going to work, you know, uh, with a Sunday brunch with some scones, um, you know, and it's going to work with a, with a, a new connection with, with a friend because you take something profound out of that wine that, you know, typically, typically wasn't there. And I think that makes it such a, such a fun, beautiful experience. And, you know, we said earlier, Adam, like we wanted to dispel the myth of the, and I kind of, make fun of the rosé all day culture um you know and if people find something that they enjoy i think that's awesome and i've been drinking rosé for years and when i started drinking rosé i'd bring it to parties and people thought it was white zin and so they wouldn't touch it and so i got to drink some beautiful provencal rosé by myself and um and, and, and have a great time they're like the wine guy is drinking white zinfandel you know <laughs> and i was like <laughs> sucker you know i got to drink it all it was great and and i'm glad that people are that are kind of on board with this and and drinking it one of the problems that we see sometimes is that every winemaker decides they want to make a rosé because it's popular and then what happens is the market gets too much rosé and then people stop drinking it because there's a new fad and it could be canned wine or it could be hard seltzers um whatever it may be um but for us you know these are wines that have such complexity there's such nuance they are as complex as you want them to be um you don't have to drink Susanna Balbo or Chef de Balayou or um Montezarg and be like you know super invested in what you're smelling you can have this with a friend and have that conversation be the the you know the focus um or you can sit down and you can really pull out some beautiful stunning and nuanced aromas from these wines 100 percent. quick disclaimer if you like to drink wise infidel that's okay we encourage wine drinking of across <laughs> the board of any persuasion um many that's where i, I don't, started that was my first wine <laughs> it's but, it, but it's so, like <laughs> no one the it's so true with, with wine like you you everyone starts somewhere you know that they're, they're, they're so complex they're so different they're so unique that it normally takes that one moment where you have that first one where you're like oh my god this is what is this this this, this isn't what i normally drink well where did this come from and then it you know that then it snowballs and if it doesn't and you only like that one thing that's cool too like it, it's the the <clears throat> The worst, the worst part about wine, not the worst part, but, but yeah, for me it is, is that we get so caught, caught up in, in the other reason I don't like to talk about what we smell and what we're smelling and what we're tasting. We forget, do, do we enjoy this? Like, yeah, like I got these really cool smell, you know, notes on it and whatnot, but, but did I like it? Did, did, you know, did I enjoy drinking it? Would I drink it again? Would I want to share it with someone? And that's what's really important. So if you find something that you love, and it happens to be white zin, and that's what you drink. That's amazing. So, um, you know, and, can I? And, yeah, absolutely. Can I also tell you a quick story? You had your story about uh, your friend uh, Matt and and smelling uh, 
the Aspiring Delight for Provence. <laughs> um, the reason why I got in the wine industry, I was actually, it's a funny story, I was at karaoke. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I can't believe I'm telling the story, but I'm going to say, I was at karaoke uh, in the mid early 90s, and I was sitting at the bar about to sing a song, drinking a margarita, and I was with one of my best friends, Catherine Harmon, who uh, you know, this is when I lived in Vermont, she now lives with her family in Minnesota. Um, but she was drinking well, pink wine. And I looked at her, I said, how can you drink that? That's just sour, that's disgusting. Because I didn't drink, I didn't come from a wine family. Um, it was back in my family history, many, many years back or generations back, but not, not in my, my immediate family, they didn't drink. And um, I was enjoying my margarita and she goes, you would like this. And I said, no, I wouldn't. And she gave me a taste of it. And it was amazing. It was one of the best things I ever tried in my life. It was Fetzer White Zinfandel. Uh, <laughs> and that became my go-to drink. And that actually got me into one because it, it was easy to drink. It was sweet. Um, it was not complex. But you know what I enjoyed was that moment with a friend. And that brought me into the world of wine. And then from there, like, you know, she started showing me like Chablis and, and she was great because she was the kind of person that can drink white Zinfandel or drink classified Bordeaux and she's going to enjoy it because it's really about, you know, that, that human, that human connection. Um, you know, another, another cool thing about, about Rosé is that when we talk about the expensive wines, these wines are in that kind of, you know, mid-teens price point, maybe up to lower 20s, you can get some great rosés in, in that, that area. Some of the most expensive wines in the world, you know, including champagne, are rosés. Yeah, yes. And with that, I think that means that we should talk about champagne next time. And I'm going to come back to that in a sec. But I, what this really means, what we've been, what we've been like talking about here is that rosé wine is no different from white wine and red wine. It should not be viewed differently. It, should, it, it is the, in, in terms of what it is and what it can be. Yes, are, are there cheap rosé wines out there? Yes. You know what else is out there? There's a lot of cheap white and red wine out there too. <laughs> are there some poorly made rosés out there? Yeah. There's poorly made white and red wine out there too. <laughs> um, and there is some phenomenal, gorgeous, beautiful uh, white and reds that are out there. And Rosé has that too. So basically what I'm trying to say is Rosé can be serious and complex and um, nuanced and gorgeous and pale or dark or, or all these things and still be your perfect beach wine. Just like whites and reds can be used for anything. It, 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 it's, it, it's whatever you want it to be, which is why wine is so wonderful. It's whatever we want, wine is, you know, and I think I'm, I'm gonna steal your line. The flavors of wine are affected for you know by terroir, right? But but we're we're we also have our own terroir that affects how we perceive the wine. And 
and it can be whatever that we want it to be in that moment. And that's what, that's what makes it so wonderful and such an emotional experience. Um, and I just stole your line and I, and I know I did, but I don't care. <laughs> I, I attributed it to you when I stole you it. Have it so it's all good. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think champagne is a, is a good, a good am, way. am I allowed to be here for that? <laughs> yeah, no, so just, I get what you're saying. Full, dis full disclosure, Adam has a bit of a problem when it comes to uh, champagne. Um, <laughs> and full disclosure, I don't, I don't drink it very often because I'm the same way. Uh, because I, I, well, we'll get into this when we talk about champagne. Um, I definitely understand the nuance and the complexity and the beauty of champagne. I have a hard time sipping champagne. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's the, uh, that, that's, that's the gentle way of putting it. I have a hard time sipping champagne. Um, I don't know what it is. I, I, I just love bubbles, man. <laughs> if it's got bubbles, I'm into it. And, and there's no finer bubble for me than, than, than champagne. Uh, luckily, luckily I, I, I've learned some form of self-control because I would be broke. <laughs> <laughs> I drank champagne as much as I wanted to, but I think we could... Uh, but yeah, I mean, just as a note to keep it with Rosé, I mean, you just kind of said it. The, the most, not always, but one of the most expensive wines in a lot of these champagne houses is going to be there, is going to be a Rosé. Yeah. You know, so um, again, just it's not, Rosé can be anything and everything. It, it just, it really can. And you know, we love it. We hope you love it. I mean, it's, and if you don't, you know, um, I don't, 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 don't assume you won't just like you, you know, maybe you, maybe you only liked one style of white wine before, and now you've transitioned. Maybe you were, you know, Pinot Grigio only, and now you've gone to Sauvignon Blanc. Well, Rosé's got that diversity too. You can find those different ones. Don't, you know, go to your wine shop, talk, you know, when you're at your restaurant, you know, t tell the, tell your server, your bartender, your, your, the wine manager, whoever it is, what you like to drink explain what you like about the wine that you drink and I th th they can find your rosé they can steer you in the right direction it's rosé means a lot to me I want it to mean a lot to everyone so so find that one that you know, rosé is radical and bubbles are brilliant and rosé bubbles are radically brilliant and I think that's that's <laughs> that's how we have to leave that I, I think we should end on that note <laughs> awesome I think we should. everyone thanks for tuning in the bottom of the bottle uh, once again, obviously, if you're listening to us on Spotify, you know to find us here. However, you stream your podcasts, obviously, check us out on Instagram as well. Um, until next time, cheers, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Cheers. So there is an L in that coffee cup, right? Yes, about yeah. <laughs> Just a little bit. Um, no, actually, it is, it is just coffee. <laughs> it's just coffee. Yeah, I'm so bummed. I really wanted to sit outside because it was so beautiful when I set up. And uh, I was saying earlier to everyone that, you know, all of a sudden.